This morning we return to our series in the Gospel of John, so take your copy of God's Word and open it with me to John chapter 12, and we're going to look at the first 11 verses, John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. A few years ago, there was a man by the name of David Foster Wallace who passed away. He died quite young, actually, in 2006, but he was a famous writer. Time magazine actually listed one of his novels on their list of 100 greatest works of fiction in the last century. He was a very sought-after speaker and professor, but in 2005, one year before he died, he gave a graduation speech at a college, and this speech in the years after went viral And it has been viewed millions of times. And in this graduation speech, Mr. Wallace said the following, everybody worships. If you worship money and things, then you will never have enough. Worship your own body and beauty, and you will always feel ugly. Worship power, you will feel weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to keep fear at bay. Worship your intellect, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. You know, tragically, Mr. Foster was not a Christian, and yet What he had to say about worship was absolutely right. Everybody worships. Some people worship money. Some people worship power or fame. Some people worship their favorite celebrity. Some people really do worship their favorite sports team. But everybody worshiped something or someone And it's only when we know Christ and we give our lives to Him in worship that we find that fulfillment and that forgiveness and meaning and peace that we are looking for in life. In our scripture this morning, we are going to see two examples of worship, one of them positive and one of them negative. We're going to see one example of what real worship is, and we're going to see another example of what worship certainly is not. Now, it's been a while since we were in the Gospel of John, so let me just remind you of the context. The first 11 chapters of John are Jesus' public ministry at the end of chapter 11 and going into chapter 12. This brief time is Jesus' private ministry. Now, during this time, Jesus is going to focus on teaching and discipling some of those followers who believed on him in the three years prior. Interestingly, this, the setting for this lesson about worship is not a church. It's not a synagogue. It's not the temple. The setting is a home. This worship was not planned. It was spontaneous. The example of worship that is given to us is not a preacher or a religious leader. No, the example is a simple woman named Mary. 
And it is here in this place that we're going to see two contrasting examples of worship. And first of all, we're going to see a beautiful example of true worship. A beautiful example of true worship. Look at verse 1. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead, there they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Notice in verse 2, it says, they made him a supper. Now, who are they? You've got the 12 disciples, and then you've got Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Mark's gospel tells us that they met in the home of a man named Simon. And so altogether, you had at least 17 people and maybe even more. But this gathering appears to be a party of people just coming together to celebrate what Jesus has done. I mean, you've got people whom Jesus had taught people whom Jesus had healed, people whom Jesus had saved. You even had one guy whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And so you have all of these people. They're just coming together. And verse 2 says that they made him a supper. They're doing it for him. They're doing it to honor Jesus. And can you imagine what the conversation must have been like as they all take turns bragging on Jesus, talking about what Jesus has done. And maybe Peter starts off talking about that time. Jesus healed his mother-in-law of a fever. And then Simon says, well, big deal. I was a leper and Jesus healed me. And of course, Lazarus could be everybody because he could say, dude, I was dead beat that. And they're just having a great time. Jesus is right there in the midst of them, and I'm sure he is enjoying every moment. And you know, there's one sense in which this gathering is a picture of what we are going to do in heaven one day. One day when we dine with Jesus and we are all gathered together and we tell the stories, there's that old hymn that says, we will tell the story how we've overcome. Well, verse 2 says that Martha served. That's her role. She loved to serve. We remember that other time when Martha was preparing a meal, but Mary was seated at Jesus' feet. And you remember how Martha came in and she was angry and she complained because Mary wasn't helping well, this time we come to John 12, it looks like Martha has learned to serve without complaining. And then here comes Mary. Look at verse 3. We're going to spend some time on this one. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Mary did not come to hear a sermon. Mary did not come to bring her petitions to Jesus. Mary did not come to fellowship with other believers. 
Uh, Mary did not come because she was weary and she needed to be restored. Listen, all of those things are fine and good, but Mary did not come for any of those things. She came for one reason, to worship Jesus. That's it. She came to worship Jesus. She came to love him and honor him and praise him. And in that moment, she showed them and she showed us what real worship is all about. I believe there are at least five things from her worship in this moment that we can learn from. I want you to notice that her worship was personal. Her worship was personal. The symbolism here in verse 3 is so powerful She placed herself at Jesus' feet. I told you when we were in chapter 11 that every time we see this particular Mary in the Scriptures, she's always at the same place. We always see her at the feet of Jesus. It turns out there was no other place where she would rather be. To be at his feet was a picture of surrender. It was a picture of service. She anoints those feet with oil. More about that in a moment. But then she takes her hair, which in those days was considered a woman's glory, and she wipes his feet with her hair. We we see how she's humbling herself. She's basically saying, Jesus, the least part of you is greater than the best part of me. She's saying, you are altogether beautiful and glorious. You are to be honored and treasured above all others. These are not the actions of someone who's just showing up and going through the motions of worship. What she is doing is deeply, deeply personal. Her worship was personal, and it was also costly. John says it was a pound a very costly oil of spikenard. I don't know how much you know about spikenard oil. I had to research it recently because it shows up in our Sunday night series in the Song of Solomon. But I discovered that spikenard oil comes from a rare plant that is only found in the Himalayan mountains. And because this was so rare... And because it had to travel so far, it was, as a result, very expensive. In fact, this was almost certainly the most expensive perfume in the world at that time. Now, I was curious, so I did a little more research. What is the most expensive perfume that you can buy today? And it turns out that there is this perfume called Shamuk by Nabel, and you can have it for the low, low price of $1.3 million per bottle. Men, you have almost 12 months until Christmas. You now know what your wife wants. Although I think they misnamed it. Instead of Shamuk by Nabel, I think it should be called Schmuck by Nabel. Because if you pay $1.3 million for a bottle of perfume, you are the schmuck. I don't care how rich you are. Well, this particular perfume that Mary used to anoint the feet of Jesus, it did not cost $1.3 million. But 
We are told in verse 5 that it was worth 300 denarii. You say, okay, well, what is that? A denarius, just one, that was an average day's wage for a typical day worker. Well, that times 300, you bring it into 2024, after inflation, you do the math, this is the equivalent of $90,000. I sure hope that $90,000 bottle of perfume smelled good, some church members gave me cologne this past week. I don't know if it $90,000, it's good, but $90,000. The very fact that Mary owned $90,000 perfume tells you she was a wealthy woman. She had money, but she did not love money. She loved Jesus. Maybe she had purchased this before she was saved. But notice what she does with it. She takes that $90,000 perfume and she just poured it all on Jesus' feet. Can you imagine that? On his feet. All of that for just one moment, for one symbol of devotion. She wanted to show Jesus how much she loved him. And in that moment, there was no price that was too high. And there are those times in life where dollars and cents don't matter. And for her, this was one of those moments. Her worship was personal. It was costly. And it was also public. Mary was not there to be seen. She didn't mind being seen. She's not trying to hide her love for Jesus. She doesn't care who knows. Because she's not focused on the disciples or Martha, or Lazarus, or Simon. She's focused on Jesus. These are not the actions of someone who's really concerned about public opinion. No, this is just a public display of her love for Jesus. And in fact, it turns out that true love for Jesus must express itself in worship because it cannot be hidden. Her worship was also sacrificial. I said it was costly. It was also sacrificial. And these are two different things. The Gospel of Mark mentions a detail that John does not give us. It says that she broke that box, that alabaster box that contained the spikenard oil. The fact that she broke it tells us that she gave it all. If she had taken just some of that costly perfume, that by itself would have been a beautiful gesture. But no, she didn't take some of it. She didn't take even half of it. She took all of it because she understood that Jesus does not deserve half of our lives, half of our ambitions, half of our plans, half of our relationships, half of our possessions, or half of our hearts. She understood he deserves it all. And so she gave it all. Her worship was sacrificial, really because it was driven by the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus said in verse 7, she has kept this for the day of my burial. She's doing this because she understands he's about to die and he's about to be buried 
This is like someone who says, well, I'm going to send flowers before the funeral. I'm not going to wait until they die. She said, I'm not waiting until his death to anoint him. On at least three occasions, Jesus had told the disciples that soon he would be betrayed and he would be arrested and tried and crucified and he would rise again. It would appear that most of those disciples were not paying attention. Mary was. She knew that soon those precious feet that she anointed would be nailed to a cross. She knew that soon he would lay down his life. She knew that soon his blood would be shed. And so it is for that reason, it is in light of his sacrifice that Mary just wants to honor him in the greatest way she can imagine. So she took that one thing that was probably the most valuable thing she owned and she pours it all out on Jesus' feet. Now, I will tell you that if you take even now the most expensive perfume in the world, if you take that Shabbat by Nabel and you pour it all out on the feet of Jesus, that would not be a waste. In fact, that would be completely inadequate. It would be completely unworthy of him. We sing that hymn every now and then. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. This kind of reminds us of another story in 2 Samuel. David was going to purchase the land where eventually the temple would be built. And when he went to buy the land, you remember what the owner said? Oh, my king, my king, I'll give it to you for free. David said, I will not offer God that which cost me nothing. David wouldn't, and Mary wouldn't either. Her worship was personal, and it was costly. It was public. It was sacrificial, and it was evident. Notice the end of verse 3 says, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. I love that. The whole house, wherever you went, you were reminded of her expression of love for Jesus. It was evident to everyone. And in the same way, when someone truly loves Jesus and when that someone worships Jesus, whether it's in church, whether it's at home, whether it's in their words, with their actions, with their giving, with their service, there's this spiritual fragrance that goes with them wherever they go. And everyone around them can detect it. Just like Mary, when we humble ourselves and worship and place ourselves at the feet of Jesus, there's a spiritual fragrance, the fragrance of Christ that adorns us. I think about this famous commercial You've probably seen it at some point. It's a commercial for a credit card company in which they ask this question, what's in your wallet? You've heard of that, right? Well, let me just twist that and let me ask you this. What if your most valuable possession could fit in a box like Mary's did in John chapter 12? What if the greatest that you have to offer your talents, your time, your family, your resources? What if the best of you 
could fit in that box, would you be willing to do what Mary did and offer it to Jesus? Now listen to me. Not because of what you hope to get in return. Not because you're hoping that there will be some blessing or some reward on the other side of that. No. Would you offer it to him just because he's worthy? And that's it. Because no one ever loved you like Jesus. Because no one ever did for you what Jesus did. And so you give it back to him, not because you think you can pay him back, because you can't. No, you, you give it to him. You offer it to him for his glory, for his use, whatever it is, whatever is in your box. And what's in your box is going to be different from what was in Mary's box. And that's going to be different from what was in my box. But whatever you is, you offer it to him because that is the only appropriate response in light of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. And so we see in this a beautiful picture of true worship. Unfortunately, that's not the end of the story. We also see in this story a tragic example of false worship. Look at verse 4. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? There's always that one person, right? At any party, at any celebration, there's that one person, but one of his disciples. Now, Matthew's gospel tells us that all of the disciples were unhappy with her offering, but Judas was the complainer in chief. He was the one who spoke out. Now, there's a part of me that thinks that if you're going to read verse 5, if you're going to do it right, if you're going to read it correctly, you have to read it with a whiny, self-righteous, holier-than-thou, pathetic kind of voice. You know what I'm talking about? Why didn't she sell it and give it to the poor? Now, I will say this. If you just read this on the surface, initially, it kind of makes sense. $90,000. Well, how many hungry people could you feed for $90,000? How many, how many homeless people could you shelter for $90,000? How many needy people could you clothe for $90,000? That's a lot of money. Well, that's how it looked on the surface. But listen, Jesus sees beneath the surface. So look at verse 6. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. Judas pretended to care about the poor, but he didn't care about the poor. He cared about himself. And so it turns out that the disciples had a benevolence ministry, just like we do right here, First Baptist Church of Homestead. People would give to this benevolent, benevolence ministry, and then the disciples would take that money, and they would use it and distribute it to meet the needs uh, of those who were in need. And guess who was in charge 
of the account. Judas was. So he wants that oil to be sold. He wants that money to go in his account so that he can help himself to that money whenever he wants. Now, let me tell you why this particular detail is so important. This detail is important because it tells us that it's not like Judas Iscariot was walking closely with Jesus, in love with Jesus, and then one day, suddenly, he just woke up and betrayed our Lord. No. Before the big fall, there were little falls. Did you know it always works that way when you see there's some kind of scandal, maybe someone you looked up to and you're so disappointed? Before the big fall, there are always the little falls that came before it. His character was already compromised. He was already a thief. And that's why verse 7 says, But Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. I love the fact that Jesus said, Leave her alone. He is not going to sit back and do nothing while some bully criticizes her for her worship in his presence. And he said, the poor you have always. Now, some people misunderstand this. Jesus is not saying that we should ignore the poor. Far from it. He's actually quoting Deuteronomy chapter 15, which says, and I'm paraphrasing, It says, the poor you have always, therefore you should always be willing to open your hand to them. His point is, you always have the opportunity, and yes, you always should minister to the poor, but you do not always have the opportunity to anoint the Son of God before his burial. You see, her gift was appropriate in light of Jesus' death on the cross for our sin. And so you have these two. You have Mary and you have Judas. You see these two ways of relating to Jesus. It's interesting to see the way they contrast in this story. Mary had her box and Judas had his. Mary worshiped Jesus in the home of Simon. Judas is called son of Simon. Mary gave the equivalent of 300 denarii. Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Mary puts the attention on Christ. Judas puts the attention on himself. Mary wants to honor Jesus. Judas wants to use Jesus, which of these approaches describe you this morning? Do you come to Jesus to humble yourself or to promote yourself? Do you see in Jesus the one who is altogether lovely and worthy and therefore you want to worship him and honor him and serve him? Or do you see Jesus as some 
tool to use to get you where you want to be, some tool to make you healthy or wealthy or popular or powerful. Which of these two describes your life? Unfortunately, Judas is not the only example of false worship in this passage. Look at verse 9. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake. And whenever you see those four words together, Houston, we have a problem. Not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. You know, Lazarus never utters a single word in Scripture. At no point did he say anything or do anything that the gospel writers felt led to uh, mention, nothing they considered noteworthy. And yet, this man Lazarus becomes one of the great testimonies for Jesus not because of anything that he had done for Jesus, but because of what Jesus had done for him. It turns out you don't have to be super smart or super talented or super gifted to be a great witness for Christ because if you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and now you are alive in Christ, you have a story to tell. You have a reason to worship But when we read this, we think to ourselves, well, surely if Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, if Jesus has the power to impart life, that's going to mean that everyone who knows that is going to want to worship him, right? Wrong. Believe it or not, some were more interested in meeting Lazarus than they were meeting Jesus. They focused on the recipient of the miracle instead of the miracle maker. How many times do we do the same thing? Do we put more emphasis on, do we celebrate more the one who was delivered or the one who was saved rather than the Savior who did it? And then you have the chief priest who know that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but they still refuse to worship him. That's how they responded. And of course, the big question for us is how will You respond like Judas, like these curious onlookers, like these chief priests, or will you respond like Mary? There's someone you may have heard of named Johnny Erickson Tata. She's a very popular Christian author and speaker and an advocate for people with disabilities. Johnny Erickson Tata became a quadriplegic at the age of 17, in a diving accident. She's still serving, and she's still speaking and writing books, but did you know she has not had any sensation below her shoulders for the last 57 years? She tells this story of one time she was at a convention And there was a preacher there who brought the final message. And at the end of the message, he appealed to all of the people in that room to kneel in prayer. And she said she watched as everyone else in that room got down on their knees. And she was the only one that physically couldn't do it. 
And she said there was something about that, there was something about being in that room and being the only person who was not kneeling that just really struck her in a very hard way. And she said she began to cry. But as she tells the story, she said, I I cried, but then I started to pray. And when she prayed, this is what she said, Lord Jesus, I can't wait for the day when I will rise up on resurrected legs. And the first thing I will then do is drop down on grateful, glorified knees and worship you. Everyone worships something. And so I ask you again, will you worship self? Will you worship money or fame or power? or any man or anything which cannot save you, which cannot satisfy you? Or will you give your life to worshiping the one who died for you and who rose again so that you can be saved? Would you join me for a moment as we pray? God, we thank you for this simple, beautiful, sincere story this example of faith as we look at Mary and her worship and how we see that it was all of these things. Oh, God, we want that to describe our worship as well. We want that to describe what happens when we come and worship you together, but also whenever we worship you, every time we worship you, wherever we may be. And so, God, help us to follow her example and to worship you this way and that that we would take all that we are and all that we have, and if we could put it into that figurative alabaster box, just break it at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, here it is. All that we have, all that we possess is yours. This is our act of worship. God, I pray for those who are here today who have never taken that first step of coming to Christ in faith, and calling upon Him as Lord. Because we understand this life of worship begins with that one step, that first step of turning away from sin, turning to Christ, of repenting and placing our faith in Him. I pray if there's any here today who have yet to do that, that this would be that day, this would be that moment that they are born again, that moment when they say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you, I trust in you, that you died for my sins and you rose again, and therefore, you are now Lord of my life. Have your way, O God. We pray in Jesus' name. Head still bowed for just a moment. Eyes still closed, just a moment. Let me just ask you. A lifestyle of worship begins with that one initial step of following Jesus, placing your faith in him. Are you willing to do, figuratively, what what Mary did with that box, her most precious thing, her most valuable thing, and just broke it there at his feet? Would you be willing to say today, Jesus, I, I get it. I'm a sinner. I've made a mess of things. I've made a mess of my life. I can't save myself. But because of your sacrifice, because you died for me, because you rose again, therefore, I place my box before you. I break it before you. I place it at your feet. 
and say, here I am, all that I am, all that I possess, Jesus, it is yours. Anybody that's here today that would say, I've never taken that initial step, but I realize I need to, and, and what she did literally with that box, I want to do spiritually with my heart and with my life. And I just want to place it at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, here it is. I'm yours. And that's your commitment for the very first time. Anybody would say, you're taking that step this morning. You would say, that's me. I'm taking that step right here, right now. Never taken that step before. I've never done that before. But right now, I'm placing that box. I'm placing my life there at the feet of Jesus. And I'm saying, Jesus, I will serve you. Just by raising a hand so I can see or know so I can be praying for you, so I can celebrate with you. Anybody would say, man, that is me. If you're watching online, I can't see you raise your hand, but would you please reach out to us and send a text message to that number that I gave you at the beginning of the service, and uh, you'll, you'll notice when the service is over, a link will go out. Please respond to that. Please click on it and let us know if today you're giving your life to Christ uh, or if you just want to know more. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be saved? Uh, if you want to know more about baptism or membership and, or anything like that, you can just text that number, and uh, we'll get back to you. But please respond uh, so that we can know uh, that you're there and what God is doing uh, in your life this morning.